What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we're going to work on understanding why you should build for where you are versus where you want to be. And the guest who's going to take us through that journey and through that conversation is joining us today. Minji Liu is a learning and development leader in the tech space. She is a certified coach, and that might seem like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal because there's a lot of work that's involved in that. So we'll get into that a little bit. She's a DEI advocate. She is also the child of Korean immigrants, an LA transplant, wife to a British and Australian expat, and mother to a sassy, silky terrier. So I wouldn't recommend anybody saying that really super fast because you will probably stumble over the words. But hey, shout out for immigrant power. Same. Minji, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And you did nail the sassy silky terrier better than I did just now. See? <laughs> yeah, I was I was practicing before the show, like you've seen in some of those bits. I want you to fill in some gaps and get the listeners up to speed on some of the things that we didn't include in the bio that you feel is important for them to know. What's really important, and this is also why I got into coaching, is that I'm a multi-time career pivoter. And I started in marketing, I moved into consulting, and then I went into startup and L&D. And within L&D, that bubble is like super like wide in variety. And I think that has really contributed to my approach and like strategic thinking and things to have a background that's unique and bring a, a variety of experiences into what I do. And then the other thing I have to mention is I'm incredibly competitive and I, I bring that to the tennis court and I play tennis, I practice tennis, I watch pro tennis. It's a huge part of my life. And so hopefully those two things bring more color. You see, you can't drop stuff like that in the Sorry. conversation because my curiosity starts going. All right. So let me tie all this together then. So <laughs> you mentioned that you're a multi-time career pivoter and you noted that it's helped you with some of the strategic thinking that, that you've built into your career arc. How did one help you do the other? Yeah, totally. I went to school in New York and that really was the mecca of Mad Men and advertising. And so I grew up in that environment and I wanted to be the next Piggy Olsen. Um, and so I spent a few, the first few years of my career in that space. And what I really learned there was a handful of things. One is like strategic thinking, strategic planning, critical to any role as a leader nowadays, right? Understanding data, using data effectively, and telling a really compelling data story, critical in any role. And then I'd say the third thing is being in advertising and focusing on the customer and how to compel them into taking action. That is a lot of what we do in learning and development. It's a huge part of us trying to get people really engaged in programs and change behavior. And that really has, I think, set me up for success in this 
this type of role, in addition to the subject matter expertise of learning and org change and, and design and culture and all those things. The part that I like the most about what you said is that last bit about customer centricity. And that's coming from your marketing marketing experience, because that's one of the things that, that I often talk about from the sales side of it, when I'm talking about what's typically wrong with the broader sales sector is that we're not customer centric, we're product centric. And that's a problem in terms mm. of how people, how people show up. So let's get into it. When you think about your current role and what you're most proud of so far, tell us a little bit about what that would be. I think about this answer in two ways. One is personal, one's professional. So professionally coming in, stepping into a leadership role, this is my first time as a director, my first time really owning and operating the, the standing up of a function, creating these really compelling programs internally that have never been done before in that way that's org-wide accessible to a bunch of different functions cross-functionally, right? Those are the things that I feel like have really driven impact and created a lot of value at Greenhouse. And I'm really proud of that. On the personal side, I came into this role in an interesting situation where three weeks into the role, we were notified of a riff and there was a lot of emotions around that. And my, my leader was going out on parental leave for four months, about two months into me being here. He just returned and really trying to guide and coach my direct report through all of that. Those are, those things really impacted me personally. And I think I grew a lot of resilience having to go through that. And I'm very proud of the entire package of this experience and how it shaped me professionally and personally. There's something really interesting about what you just mentioned. And that was your first time being a director and your first time being a director in a startup division within a, within a broader organization. One of the challenges that commonly comes up in any sort of big pivots like that is getting your mindset right. So as a director, you have to be more strategically oriented in terms of how you think. But as a director in a startup, you have to be more hands-on. How did you make those two things work? You're spot on there. Uh, I really took advantage of those first two months that I got with my leader before he went out just to align strategically on the vision of these programs that we were delivering. And once he left, it was execution mode. And so I think it was really around the timing and the prioritization of in the literal next couple of weeks, what do we need to align on? What do we need to do? And then for the remainder of the time, I'm, I'm a planner. I personally am a planner. And so uh, I think being that way helped me just be able to set myself up for navigation for the year. So let's play it forward. So you've already gotten some momentum. When you look at the next 12 to 18 months, what are the moonshots that are on your radar that you want to get knocked out? I appreciate this question because we're literally in planning mode for 2024 and we have a sort of a whiteboard session next week in person to talk about it on my team. So I think there's some context that I can share. We created a custom in-house development program. There were eight modules for a specialized cohort of 30 cross-functional managers going through really just skill development on these critical managerial capabilities. And that program we piloted, it was called Bloom. 
And what we are doing for next year is taking the results and the feedback of that pilot and then scaling. So next year, we will have three cohorts going through Bloom, which that's a moonshot. That that requires a lot of scaling activities and mindset and behaviors of, of how do we deliver this to a wider group, to its optimal experience. And then there's other things that we have in the works too, is like scaling other opportunities for other uh, groups to go through like IC development, individual contributor development, or really taking, what are we gonna do for our senior leadership team, which is our VP plus group? We're really going from building to, okay, now like we're bringing this to life and filling in the pieces. So I'm thinking about what you have on deck and I'm thinking about the dynamics of your team size. Hmm. How did you start what was your process for figuring out what you should prioritize? Because you're talking about a sizable organization and there's a small team that you have. I think that we are really strategic in how we use our external partners. So leveraging them to be able to scale is really important to us. In terms of audiences, we know that being a manager is not something that is easy. You are not born a leader, you are made a leader. And so we are really focusing on our managers and we're focusing on our executives because they, VP level, they are really steering the ship on the, the execution of our business objectives. And so those two audiences are really going to drive the most impact in helping us really achieve the moonshots we have as a business next year. Yeah, I really the aspect of emphasis on getting managers built or and that's a significant gap in many organizations, especially when you're talking about disconnect between the vision and strategy and the execution. A lot of it breaks down at the manager level. Last thing, when you think about what's the most fun thing or fun aspect about your job. We're really creative on my team where we are always coming up with branding ideas and we're brainstorming. And so I think that we just like to have fun coming up with these, these really beautifully thoughtful branded experiences that, that hopefully like resonate and stick with our customers. And then we also have a lot of really funny people on our team. And I really try to bring the humor in every day when we're working together. Bringing humor into the day-to-day -day is probably an underrated skill for a lot of leaders. When you're thinking about how can you be authentic, how can you be more uh, transparent and vulnerable, humor might actually be the easiest way to open the door to that. I opened the show talking about build from where you are or build for where you are versus where you want to be. And that's in contrast with what you're often told about begin with the end in mind. So when you think about those game-changing realizations that helped you build a high-performing team, how does all that fit together? Not only for Greenhouse, but the tech sector has gone through a lot of change in the last year and two, three years. And so I'm a big believer in long-term planning. However, I do think that it has to be reasonable for the environment. And so we're really focusing on just 2023. That's what I set out to do in March when I joined. And then now we're really setting out to think about 2024. And beyond that, we're treading lightly on, on anything beyond that kind of time frame because so much can happen and change. In terms of building a high performance team based on those sort of 
environmental circumstances. Having stood up the org this year, I knew that when it came to the talent that I selected, it was going to have to be someone and and team members who thrive on variety, are well-rounded, have a desire to learn a lot of things and do a lot of things rather than just like the same thing every day and, and crave that kind of I would say stability in a sense of just knowing what you're going to do every day coming into the day. That's just not how we work. And I'll say I have to shout out my direct report, Teresa. She has been able to flex a lot and grow in so many ways because she has a hunger to just get her hands on many different things. And that's just what we need as a startup team right now. So I want to crystallize some of the things that, that you're talking about. And the specific use case that you're talking about is how do you structure your talent strategy or your hiring strategy or even your execution strategy based on where you are as a function. For context, Greenhouse is a large sort of mature tech organization. The L&D practice is a complete startup. So I'd like you to get a little bit more granular and map out a little bit in terms of how you married your talent strategy to where you were as a function. I'm going to answer this in the way that I think would be most helpful to the audience. And you can tell me if I answered your question. So in larger organizations, specifically in the learning and development function, you will have a team and those individuals are focused on specific things. So like you'll have instructional designers, they're the people backstage, like designing the curriculum, putting it into LMS systems, and then they hand it off because then they have, there's a team of facilitators and coaches. And they're like really the sort of delivering those program, those programs in, in the curriculum. And then you may have like program managers, you may have what we call like learning partners in some orgs who are like business partners, but specifically around learning and development. And essentially like the larger you are, the more scaled you are, the more specialized these roles are. We just don't have that luxury. It's a team of two right now. And so when I'm looking at whether it's Teresa or a program manager that we want to get in the future as I grow my team is looking at how do we create a role and how do we find the right talent that encompasses all of those skills that I mentioned into one. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. If I'm thinking about what you said and applying it to the context that you're in, and let's talk about it uh, the way it is. Your division's a startup division within broader organizations that's much more mature. And it reminded me of a conversation that I had with Melissa Moody, who is uh, a former Googler, co-founder of Gated, and she's been pretty solid throughout her career, but especially when it comes to small team marketing. And one of the things that she said is that for any small team, you have to have the mindset that's rooted in the pursuit of production versus a larger organization, which is obsessed with the pursuit of perfection. So as a small team, you just need to build good enough and get it out 
and iterate on the fly versus a larger organization, which is what uh, how I gathered what you were saying. A larger organization has a luxury of building the perfect thing and putting it out. So hopefully I'm not taking words out of your mouth, but that's what I gathered out of it. Totally. I, I love that production versus perfection. For us, that's why we created a pilot of Bloom, our leader development program, because we knew that we would iterate on it and it will look different next year. And so I think that for us, it's we came into greenhouse, like we just need something. Anything is a win. And for me as a competitive person, like I want it to be perfect. But the reality is like the fact that we got it out and it had the impact that it did and it had positive results, like huge win for us. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought out the concept of a pilot. And when we think about that pilot that you launched, what did you learn from that pilot that informed your three moonshots or your moonshot that you're planning on on launching, draw the connection there. And especially in the context of a small team in, in driving high production, in driving high performance. Yeah. There's some context that I want to share with that, which is we had basically had the, the cohort make a commitment that they would give us feedback on each session's content, the whole curriculum in general, the learner experience, because we had the end in mind of creating like the perfect program later. And this group of managers, some of our like performing managers in the org, they have really embodied greenhouse values. And we made sure that there was, of course, like really great representation in that cohort. They've helped us out a lot. We've learned a lot. But one of the things that we learned was designing the program Bloom to make sure that first and foremost, the curriculum is relevant to where managers are. And so if we continue in 2024 to get the most highest performing managers, they don't need a feedback 101 course. They got that nailed. It's small potatoes. What they need is some of these higher level skills of how do I lead change or how do I understand these things that you learn in an MBA program in two hours, like how, like, how do I look at a balance sheet or how do I do OKR planning? Like these are sophisticated higher level skills that we're going to focus on in Bloom and really be able to deliver the sort of more basic skills org wide. Let's flip this a little bit. Let's say there's an organization that is looking to do what you're doing, or there's a people leader in a similar circumstance. You're not through the entire arc of maturing this division, but you're on your way. What are the big red flags that you didn't realize existed that you know now that other people should avoid if they're trying to do the same thing that you're doing? I expected the experience that I had because I had really transparent leaders communicate that to me. And I had real transparency in the interview process, actually. And I think the red flags weren't coming from anything external and really coming more from me, which is that I put a lot of pressure on myself to be a perfectionist and in a production type team and mission that's not going to work all the time. And so really trying to be patient and have grace for myself has been like the the hardest thing I would say. So there's something interesting about that. I want to, I'd like you to expand on 
I can totally relate to the competitive aspect of it. I could totally relate to wanting to make an impact and I can totally relate to how your tennis experience flows into the need or at least the desire to, I want to accomplish a hundred million things. So you said, give yourself grace. What were yeah. some of the practical things that you did to wind yourself back and be more realistic about what could be delivered given the business situation that you were in? Absolutely. I have to use a tennis analogy because you came up, you mentioned it. So in the game of tennis, what makes a champion is someone who can still win a match even on their worst day. So if you're not playing very well, but you still win the match, that's how you win Grand Slams. And that's a common kind of idea in the tennis world. And I think that really applied to, as an example, when I was trying to form like relationships and build things during a riff. That was really hard. And I'm not showing up as my best self today because I'm emotional about what happened in the riff and intentions are high and we're emotional beings. So we're feeding off of each other's emotions and to form relationships in that environment to honestly stay focused and be productive and like actually crank things out can be really hard. And so for me, when I was going through that, it was like, if I just accomplished this today, if I have one good conversation over a cup of tea with somebody today, like that's a win. And that makes me a champion of the day. And so that really helped me <laughs> get through it. <laughs> I, I like how you called out, here's what I want to accomplish. And here's the context that's happening in the organization. The immediate thing that I wrote down when you mentioned it is learn how to read the room learn how to understand what the moment looks like mm -hmm. and still pursue what you want to pursue, but don't have it be this win-lose relationship. You have to be able to look at what's the win that I can use or I can achieve in the context of these difficult circumstances. Maybe I'm taking that too far, but that's how I read it. But I want to make that actually really tangible for folks who are listening, because I know that there are companies who are going through rifts and, and layoffs right now. And so something that I did was I would go into a one-on-one. -on -one. I'd say, hey, listen, I know it's weird that we're meeting under these circumstances. It's like that riff, the riff and what's going on right now is top of mind. And I want to ask you these questions around learning and development and programming, but I will just ask one or two and then... That's the space that we both have today to have that conversation. And that's perfectly okay. And people were really receptive to that. And I think it worked because I got what I needed, but I also acknowledge that it's a hard time right now and that's okay. Everybody talks about empathy. You got to be more empathetic as a leader. I think that right there is a great example of how you are empathetic in the moment. Just by simply asking, what do you have space for in this moment? and then yes. adjusting your approach. So I think that's a really strong takeaway. Take Minji, awesome conversation. I really like uh, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, discussion that we've had, and I think there's some practical application. Actually, there's practical application throughout the whole thing. I want you to spell this out a little bit more clearly. So if there's somebody that is faced with a similar situation as you, they're in a mature organization, but they're a startup division, what are the key principles that they need to have top of mind so that they can be successful in building that high performance organization? What I just thought of this now, so hopefully it resonates, but I'm thinking about this 3D framework, desire, demand, and delivery. I think desire is really about 
do I want this role, first of all? Like not everybody wants to work within a startup team, a startup environment, and then have to think agile and be a part of building something. And so I would say that's like a reflection point on the individual of, do I want to do this? Do I have the desire to grow and, and operate this way? For demand, I think this is really something to be cautious of because if you are a startup team in a more established organization, the demand from the business will always be exponentially greater than what you can provide. And, and so that's about delivery, which is our third point. And so I think it's about like really trying to distill that demand down into key priorities. What are the things we're saying yes to? And what are the things we're saying no to? And what are the things we're saying later? We'll get to that later. And then finally, delivery is after the riff, we downsized. And I think the whole organization is going through more of this idea around doing a few things, but doing them really well. And that ultimately, the, the end product is what people will see and what they'll have a reaction to. If you're delivering a bunch of things that are 50% baked, not going to be great for your credibility as a function. But if you're delivering three things that are phenomenal, that is everything for building your credibility and your reputation. I appreciate you breaking that down. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and particularly the voice note feature in the direct message. I like to, it's hard to always make time for calls, but if I can send you a voice note to answer a question you have, like that's scalability right there. And <laughs> that's delivery. That was a great one. And also my email is minji.lu at greenhouse.io. And I'm sure you'll share that in the podcast so they get my name spelled right. Thanks for hanging out with us, Minji. There is a lot in this conversation that I think is going to be impactful for our audience. When I think about the stuff that we talked about in this last 30 minutes, here's here's a framework that I built. It, it's in no particular order, but here are the things that, that stood out to me. If you want to be successful in building a high-performance team, these are the five things that you should consistently do if you're in a startup or startup adjacent function. One, you need to be reasonable about what you can accomplish. Two, you should be centered on the pursuit of production versus the pursuit of perfection. Three, you need to be focused on what's relevant and what's gonna make the biggest impact. So that's three and four. And then five, read the room. Make sure that you're centering yourself with an empathetic view so that you're not only operating on what's most important to you, you're also focused on what's most important to the person that you're sitting across from. So that's what I learned from this conversation. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, if you liked where this went, leave us a review and then tune in next time where we'll bring on another great leader to share with us the game-changing realizations that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.